0: Hey everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. Welcome to our first episode of 2015. This is actually a three-part installment um, of an interesting little series that I decided to do where uh, I, got, I got some requests on the Facebook page and uh, one or two emails actually asking me uh, some questions about some more budget-priced gear. I, I know that sometimes I ramble on about some of my favorite pieces of gear, you know, like the BAE preamps or the Tube tech compressor, and sure, these pieces are high price, and I don't want to lead on that you can't get a good sound unless you get high price equipment, because we should all know that that's just not true. There are some amazing pieces of gear that are not that expensive, um, that can last your lifetime, and you will still use them even if you do upgrade to nicer gear. Uh, all the pieces I'll be listing today are pieces that I have either owned at one time, currently own, or want to own and try to rent or borrow because I love them. Nothing that I list here today will be something that I don't like. Um, And to sort of play on that, um, not everything here you might like. Um, So do your research on all of these things. Um, Basically, what this show is going to be is a three-part installment of uh, top 10 studio essentials um, for... $100 or less, $500 or less, and $1,000 or less. So this first one is going to be $100 or less. So enjoy. All right, so clocking in at number 10. Uh, This may sound stupid, but I use one all the time, and I still get asked for one, and that is a high-quality tuner. Now, um, you can find these on eBay. Uh, I really like the Korg tuners. Um, But just having a nice tuner that's accurate, Uh, I I prefer a digital tuner and I prefer, I like the rack units. I got mine for $100 even um, used, but uh, they're getting harder to find. But I'm sure really any Korg tuner, in my opinion, is is a great tuner. There are some others out there. The Peterson tuners are great, but they're uh, quite a bit more expensive. Um, And uh, personally, I love the rack tuner. Um, the way that I have mine set up is I have it set up on a headphone mix uh, that is tied to every channel, which means that anybody plugged into anything, whether it's a DI or a mic or whatever, will be run through the tuner. And that's really cool because if someone's sitting in the control room playing guitar or if someone's playing bass or you know if I'm trying to pick out a note, anybody can just you know, talk into any mic and it shows up on my tuner that's in the rack right next to me. And I've also got some other, you know, smaller Korg tuners, just, you know, the regular handheld type. I don't know what they call them, um, that I love. And I always love using, um, my one tip for tuners is whenever you're tuning, regardless of what brand you choose or what type, have everybody use the same tuner. Um, there are, discrepancies between tuners and they they pick up sound slightly differently um you know the headstock tuners for guitar the digital tuners that you plug into you know etc so my advice is have everybody tune with the exact same tuner which is why i rely on Korgs, and i have everybody plug into the uh little Korg tuner or the rack tuner and um yeah i feel like that's a more consistent way of making sure that everybody and you know not everyone is uh everyone is either using headstock tuners or everybody is using you know the plug-in. That's the idea. So number 10, high quality tuner. Number nine is the Art Tube MP. Now this is a cool little preamp. I've had a handful of these over the years, um and I think they run anywhere from 30 to 120 dollars. I'm not sure what they are new. Um, but I find them on eBay all the time and they're great for just having that extra pre around in my case. I mean, I have a, a, a big rack full of pre so a lot of time, you know, I don't just buy them just because but a lot of times I'll find myself saying, oh crap, you know, I need let's give them a talk back mic um, so they can talk to us, you know, so we can hear them in the room. And I end up saying, you know, man, that, that actually sounds pretty good. I might actually, you know, compress that and use it as a room mic or something. Um, those, uh, I really like the um, the one that has a high-pass filter and a limiter on it. That one's really cool, and they're not too expensive. You can find them used all the time. Um, it's just a little tube preamp, and uh, it's got a great sound. Honestly, for under 100 bucks, and uh, I, I use them for miscellaneous tasks. My talkback mic uses one. Um, I've got one hooked up to an isolation cabinet. And uh, let's see. I've used it for,, um, you know, like I said, the, the talkback mics for uh, for them, for the artist in the live room. I've used it for all kinds of little tasks where I just needed a pre, just a pre that's not gonna, you know, be noisy and it's gonna sound good and it's gonna always work, and it's small and compact. And just does the job without, you know, too many frills or anything like that. Um, So yeah, that's number nine, an Art Tube MP. I couldn't have a list of uh, top 10 studio essentials under $100 without mentioning the SM57, which is number eight on my list of top studio essentials. If any of you have been doing this for more than a little while, you probably own an SM57, and good for you, because they're always great mics to have around. They've been a studio standard for a long, long time on guitars and snare drums and even vocals. Um, They sound really cool on hi-hats sometimes. I end up using that on hi-hat kind of a surprising amount of times because it's not necessarily a bright mic and it kind of gets a cool chunky hi-hat sound. I've used it as a talkback. I've used it on bass cab. I've used it on kick drum. I've used it on toms. I've used it Basically anywhere. I've used it on a piano. It can sound really cool on a piano. Never rule out the old SM57 or SM58. You can find them on Craigslist and eBay for probably fifty bucks. You could probably find three of them for a hundred dollars. Some, you know, they're so common and they're very consistent. There's lots of mods you can do to them. You can replace the transformer, or you can remove the transformer. Um, I have. I have a handful of 57s with mods to them. I really like removing the transformer. Um, It kind of gives it a little bit more of an SM7 quality without actually having to buy an SM7. So it seems to tame the mids a little bit, give it a little more low end. It does drop the output significantly, so um, I think maybe 6 dB or more, and so if you're using it on snare or guitar cabs, you're going to be fine. But if you plan on using a 57 for you know vocals, you might want to leave the transformer in or upgrade the transformer with a replacement. Um, there's a handful of companies out there who are making you know replacement transformers. But uh, yeah, it's a classic. You know it. I know it. We all love it. The SM57. Number seven is the HD280 Pro headphones from Sennheiser. These are $100 new. Um, I usually find them on eBay used. Um, they're pretty rock solid. And you don't have to worry about them, you know, as long as the auction says they work. You know, these are great headphones. They're comfortable. Um, clients seem to really like them. If they, you know, if they break or whatever, you know, you're not out $300 or something for like a nice set of biodynamics buyer, buyer or something like that. Um, they sound really nice. Singers tend to really like the way their voice sounds in them. And they're cheaper than a lot of headphones out there. Um, for example, I really love the Extreme Isolation headphones for drummers, uh, and they they're really great at rejecting click. And you know, you don't you know you you can really isolate uh, a, a performer while they're playing, and helps with click bleed and helps with all kinds of stuff. But those headphones don't sound very good, and they're like a hundred and fifty dollars, and that's a shame because um, they're really you know. In terms of just logistics, they're they're great because they really seal well and they, you know, have great isolation. They protect your hearing, but they don't sound that good. And performers want to be able to hear themselves well. They want to like the sound of their instrument in their headphones. So usually drummers, you know, they don't, they're not too picky. They just want a lot of click and they want, you know, enough for themselves, you know. But they're already hearing so much of themselves in the room, so they usually don't care. But singers, bass players, guitar players... They want to have a good sound, and they want decent isolation. And I, as a studio owner, I don't want to have to spend, you know, three hundred dollars per set of headphones to record, you know, five guys, six guys in a band. So I really like the Sennheiser HD280s. I've got three or four pair of them, and they're kind of my go-to when in doubt headphones. Um, I, I just really like them. So check them out. Number six on our list of Studio Essentials, $100 or less, is the TC Electronic Level Pilot. Now, you might have seen this thing and wondered, what the heck is that? It looks kind of like a weird coffee mug or something. Um, basically, the TC Electronic Level Pilot is an analog uh, volume controller for your monitors. And uh, I've gotten some questions about this on email in the past. And um, some people have asked me, well, why do I want an analog volume control from my monitors. Why do I need a monitor controller? Well, aside from some of the fancier features that a lot of monitor controllers have, like speaker switching, and, you know, you can put the sub in and out. Some of them, uh, like the Dangerous Monitor ST, which I use and love, is a step attenuator. It's got mutes, it's got talkback, it's got all kinds of stuff, it's got dim. But the main reason you will probably want an analog volume controller of some kind is that in some cases, especially on uh, budget interfaces or, you know, converters, things like that, a lot of times these digital volume controls are either A, inaccurate, B, they lose sort of resolution at these lower volumes. They don't seem to have the same fidelity at these lower volumes and C, um, you have to reach usually at an odd spot you can't always put your interface exactly where you want it now sure a lot of them uh, these days are being made so you know so simply and so up front a lot of controls are on the front but um, some of them don't have you know monitor volume right on the front and so people end up using uh, control within their software or something like that and I always recommend for gain staging purposes to keep your monitors at the loudest level they go so unless it starts getting noisy some of them can get really noisy at those levels but generally speaking uh, my advice is to put your monitors at the loudest level possible and then put your output of your uh, of your DAW and your interface at zero meaning you know the maximum not plus anything but just zero and then in between use an analog Uh, volume controller now again this isn't analog like it's going to make it warmer it's none of that crap okay it's just for the sake of fidelity now these tc level pilots use a high quality borns pot now again it's a pot so it's not going to last forever Um, any guitar players out there know that a ernie ball volume pedal for example it starts to get scratchy over time and I i experienced the same thing with the level pilot over a couple years But the good thing is, it's just about the cheapest monitor controller, you know, volume knob out there um, that is high quality and is, you know, they've put all of their money literally into just the pot. I mean, that's all it is. It's a really smooth, it feels great, um, you know, it's very, very easy on the hands. It's not hard to turn. It's very smooth. It's easy to just grab right... You can put it right in front of your mouse. You can just grab and turn it up and down. Very easy to use. Could not be simpler. I think it's about $89, and I'm sure you can find them used. I do recommend getting it new, though, again, because you have the pot, and that's the whole function of the unit. So... You know, you want to get one that's brand new. I believe they use a high-quality Born's Pot, which is a great company. Um, the the evenness of sound quality, at, even at low volumes, low resolutions, is great. Um, my only gripe about it I, is that at very, very low levels, I mean, really low, like almost off, um, one side seems to drop before the other. And that is, um, you know, one of the main reasons why in the higher dollar monitor controllers they use a stepped attenuator because it's easier to make sure that that doesn't happen and pots aren't perfect you're you might get one and it doesn't do that um but trust me it's worth it you you're not going to be mixing i mean it's like literally almost off you know the left side will drop out before the right side um but that's just a small gripe it's a really cool device. It's got a little breakout cable with XLR in and outs, so make sure that you uh, get accordingly, you know, get the cables accordingly to that. Um, but it's just a really cool little controller. It's a nice high-quality pot. I think it sounds better, in my opinion, than you know some of the Presonus monitor stations and you know the the Mackie big knob and some of some of those that have a lot of features. But they really sacrifice some of the sound quality because of it. Um, this, you know, this is a, such a simple thing. If you're looking to break into the world of monitor controllers and to see how it can kind of change your workflow quite a bit in a really nice way and speed things up, you should definitely check out the Level Pilot. It can really sort of open your mind up to wow, you know, having this volume controller is really really useful. So uh, check it out, the TC Level Pilot. Number five on the list of top 10 studio essentials, $100 or less, are inline microphone pads. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen these, maybe you own some, and if you do, great. These are little XLR barrels that you put um, right in line with the mic cable to pad down the mic. These are extremely useful if A, you're recording something extremely loud, B, your microphone pre does not have a pad on it, or C, um, you just need a little bit extra headroom on the pre um, to, you know, pad something down just that little bit more just to be safe about clipping. This is really useful for guys, uh, home studio guys, that aren't tracking with compression. I've gotten some comments from you guys that, you know, I, I uh, talk about tracking with compression and some of you guys have said, you know, I don't, I don't track with compression or I don't own any compressors. You know, should I get one? And the truth of the matter is, you definitely should try it and see if it's for you. I love tracking with compression because it saves me a lot of time later. And if I know what I'm looking for, and if I'm you know, i really focused on the end goal sound right up front, and I have a very clear picture, I have no problem using EQ and compression live. If you don't have a very clear picture and you want ultimate flexibility then just don't use a compressor. There are many times when I just don't use them because I'm like, you know what, that sounds pretty good, but I'm not exactly sure where that's going to fit in the mix or, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what, you know, role this is going to serve. For example, I did a track yesterday where uh, there was a string part and generally speaking, strings don't need a lot of compression, but every now and then they can benefit from some gentle, really gentle compression And I just said, you know, I just, I want to be really safe on this and and not use any. And I'm glad I didn't, because in the end of the mix, I didn't use any compression at all. It sounded best with none. Um, So, and I am not afraid to admit that I've gotten into some binds from, you know, compressing on the way in and looking back later and saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't have compressed that much. Um, But. Point being, these inline mic pads, (laughs) these inline mic pads are great. Um, They are meant to be used. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them are meant to be used before the mic pre, not after. Okay, those are those are different. That's those are a different impedance. Now they do make those for after the mic pre, um, but a lot of them you got to check. You know, read the specs, see what they're for. Uh, If they are 600 ohm. Um, They're probably for the output of the preamp, but if they're lower than that, if they're like 150 or something like that, um, they're probably meant to be used before the mic pre. So make sure you check that out. I know that's confused a lot of people. Make sure you get the right one for you. Um, you can also get inline pads for the output of a mic pre if you have a mic pre that's just really hot and you want to be able to drive it a little bit more, um, which I happen to really like doing. So, um, you know, if you don't have console or faders or attenuators or things like that, I've got you know attenuators on most of my pres and the ones that don't have attenuators, I've either, you know, gotten some built or I've built them myself, just output attenuators, so I can drive the pre just a little more to get a little more coloration. Um, but you can get these inline mic pads uh, either post pre or pre pre, and I think most of them cost anywhere from 20 to 50 bucks a piece. It might seem like a lot, especially if you're you know needing four or five of them. But you know even having one of them is really useful just for that one time where. You know, you want to use this mic on this with this pre, and it's the only pre you have left available, and it's clipping, and there's no pad on the pre. And it's like, oh man, that thing just saved my life. And it has saved my life a couple of times. So just sure make some, Whirlwind makes some, I think Proco makes some. Just check it out. They're called inline mic pads. Make sure you check for the right impedance. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend getting a few. Number four. Okay. This one, I admit, is kind of lame, but uh, it it really has helped me a lot. Um, I really value having a really good quality, high-speed USB 3.0 flash drive that is large. I have a 64-gig USB 3.0 flash drive that works with Mac and PC, and it has saved my butt a couple times. Because, A, I know it's a good one. Uh, I believe mine is made by a company called Mushkin. Mushkin? I think like that Um, and it's very fast it works totally fine on Mac and PC so if you know sometimes if somebody's hard drive isn't working sometimes you know that happens where a guy has a Mac formatted hard drive and it's not working with the PC oh no what do we do I always know that I can use this flash drive and get files off of you know someone's computer and because it's 64 gigs I, I mean I'm pretty much safe and, uh, so yeah, I really recommend investing and it's really not that much. I mean, for a great one these days, a really nice flash drive is like 60 bucks. <laughs> I remember when, I, uh, you know, 128 megabytes was 60 bucks for a flash drive. So that, that's pretty funny how far we've come in just a handful of years. But, um, yeah, I really recommend getting one. I keep it on my keys. It's always by my side and, um, I don't know what I would do without it. Number three is sort of a pick one or the other or both. Um, the Radial Passive DI and the Radial Passive Reamper are both about 100 bucks, brand new. You can find them used all the time. And uh, I use both of these all the time. Um, they're such solid units. Radial makes just such great pieces of gear that just they never fail. And um, sure, having the active version is great too. Uh, the active DI and the active reamper, that's cool. Um, I tend to like passive DI's a lot, you know, just as much as I like active DI's. Um, So if you're not into reamping or haven't messed with it, I highly recommend getting the radial reamp box, um, you know, and really any old DI can work. A DI, if you have a mic preamp with a DI, that's probably fine, Um, but the reamp box will convert a line level signal down, you know, to guitar level, uh, so you're going to output from your uh, interface a pretty hot signal, and you'll need to convert that essentially down to instrument level to send out to the amp. And uh, I, it's a really, really, really cool thing to start experimenting with reamping all kinds of things. You can reamp vocals into amps. You can reamp, you know, bass into guitar amps. You can reamp drums reamping tambourine into a fender spring reverb is you know is awesome you know a twin or a Princeton or something reamping percussion reamping snare drum I mean there's a lot of cool things you can do uh, with reamping and it's really up to you it's 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 so open and it's such a you know a cool technique that's been done for years and years and years um, you know guys uh, back in the back in the day uh, if they needed more ambience on something I mean, chambers were the, I mean, that was like the original reverb. I mean, before they had springs and plates, um, you know, it was chambers. And then springs and plates were the early, early reverbs. Um, but chamber reverbs are, you know, basically stairwells or room, large rooms or parking garages or whatever that they would essentially reamp sound into a speaker and then, you know, it wouldn't be a guitar amp necessarily. It'd be like a, like a monitor. And then they would put mics up in the room and capture the sound of the room. And that's such a cool technique. It's great. Even, you know, if you want to have a guitar amp to do it, you know, if, or if you want to buy just a, like a single monitor, like a mono, just anything, you know, just powered speaker, you can, now again, if you're using a powered speaker like that, you don't, really need the reamp box necessarily you can just go straight out of your interface but um you can push a sound out into a room if you've got a hallway or you know if you can find a stairwell or something and put mics 10 feet away 20 feet away get some ambience it's really cool for synths or things that seem to sound kind of like overly dry sort of like awkwardly dry or like synthetic it's really cool to add some real space to a sound there's something that you just i have never been able to find a digital reverb or you know even a you know a plate that quite does the same thing as just a really cool room sound it's almost impossible to recreate what it can do So um, definitely check out the Reamp box. Really cool for being able to, you know, record a DI for guitar and then, you know, edit it however you need to and then send it out to the amp, perfectly edited. It's much easier to edit a DI, especially, you know, when you're planning on distorting it, than it is to edit a distorted guitar because a distorted guitar is basically just like a bar of sound. But if you have a DI, you can clearly see those transients. It's much easier to edit that. And then you can reamp it when it's all perfect. So check them out: the radial uh, passive DI and the radial passive reamper. All right, and so number two is one of my new favorite products, and it's so incredibly cheap, and it sort of ties back to the flash drive thing that I mentioned a couple, uh, a couple numbers ago. But this is a program called Paragon HFS. I'll say that again: Paragon. That's P A R A G O N H F S. And basically, it is a little program that you install on your computer. They make it for Mac and PC that basically makes your computer play nice with devices from uh, the opposite sex of computer, so to speak. So if you're a PC user and you seem to have trouble sometimes with getting Mac hardware to be recognized, you know hard drives formatted for Macs, hard, you know, flash drives or certain devices. If you install this little program, it costs $20. Install this little program, it takes five minutes to download and install. You don't even notice that it's there. You don't have to do anything. I, You would never even notice that you did anything. Just all of a sudden, these hard drives and devices suddenly show up and they work. And they make the same thing for Macs, where it will see PC devices. It just makes them play nice. And it's $20. A lot of people have, um, you know, I used to experience that problem um, before I would heard of this program. And, I mean, I never have to worry about that anymore. It's just a great thing. I get lots of guys bringing in hard drives and flash drives and, you know, their MacBooks or whatever. And they're wanting to share files and use files for the session and sometimes they're transferring entire sessions and I just have to know that it's going to work and Paragon really helps me do that. Paragon HFS, it's 20 bucks, check it out. So number one on this list might not be what you expected and I'm sorry but uh, I cannot pass up the clear amount of savings and the amount of just total satisfaction it brings me to have one of these and how much it has helped me how much money it has saved me and something that i, I mean it's something i literally use basically every day and it is a high quality weller west 51 soldering station now you might be rolling your eyes saying, you know, oh, I don't want to mess with soldering or whatever. I'll just get my cables from here or there or whatever. But trust me, if you are not making your own cables, you are missing out on huge, huge savings and huge benefits. Um, you can get a, a West 51, uh, that's W-E-S then 51, soldering station from Weller for, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 bucks, depending on where you buy it, if you get it on eBay I believe I got mine for maybe 50 or 60 bucks, brand new. So, um, I, I mean, I use that thing every day, either making a cable or fixing a cable or fixing a switch, you know, that on a guitar or fixing a pot in a guitar that has come undone or, you know, whatever. There's a million uses for a soldering iron. You know, you can save so much time and energy by just, oh, look, my guitar cable, you know, it's buzzing really bad. Okay, maybe the ground's disconnected. Unscrew the end. Oh, look, the ground's disconnected. Flip on the soldering station. Ten minutes later, five, five, ten minutes later, it's heated up. You fix it, you're done. I mean, that's it. And the 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 feeling of satisfaction just from being able to do that in mid session. And it and it's not even it's not something that takes an hour. I mean, it takes ten minutes. You can do, just say, hey, guys, go, you know, go grab a coffee or whatever. I got to I got to do something fix this cable and we'll get going. Um, I mean, it, it's it's no time at all. The money I have saved making my own cables has been tremendous. I mean, you can buy, for example, you can go to Guitar Center or, you know, go online and get a Mogami mic cable for 80 bucks, like a 25 footer. Or you can go to Redco, uh, which is a website where you can buy cabling and ends. It's R-E-D-C-O. I believe it's just redco.com. Maybe it's Redco Audio. I'm not sure. Um, That's where I get all of my stuff. And you can buy the same Mogami cable, the same Neutrik ends for, you know, you can buy the Neutrik ends for three or four bucks a piece. And you can buy the same Mogami cable for like 80 cents a foot. So you could make that same 25-foot cable for something like 30 or $40 um, when it's all said and done. And about 15, 20 minutes of your time. I mean, literally, all you need is the soldering station, some solder, uh, maybe a clamp or a vise or something to hold the ends, because they can get hot if you you know are holding the soldering iron there for a while. I, I like to have one. And some wire strippers. That's pretty much all you need and and that's it you can make cables i mean it it really is not difficult at all there's a million tutorials on the internet um i mean guitar cables have two conductors i mean positive negative mic cables have three i mean it it, there's it's really not that hard the hardest part about making cables is is remembering to put on the boot on onto the cable before you saw to the ends um, I mean it, it really is something that you should get into guitar wiring fix you know fixing an output jack on a guitar that has come undone or fixing a pot or checking out your guitar to make sure all the, all the grounds are connected which is a common problem you know those grounds can come loose and you need to re-solder them. Um I mean, there's a million different situations. just the other day, I had a session where um I needed a really, really long speaker cable, and I didn't have one. The longest one that I actually had was about twenty foot twenty feet. Well, I keep a huge stock all the time of speaker cable and guitar cable and mic cable and you know miniature cable for you know like uh, guitar pedals um like really small like George l's size. And so I happened to have quite a bit of cable for speaker cable. And so I was able to make a 50 or 60 foot cable that we could use to uh, to run a cabinet in another room. And uh, I mean, it took me 20 minutes. It was it was no big deal at all. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, you saved the day. You know, you didn't have to spend dime or whatever. We didn't have to go to Guitar Center and buy a cable. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm going to use this later. Or if I end up not using it, I can chop it up and make smaller cables I mean, the, it, it's just amazing what you can do with it. So I, it's definitely my most used tool in the studio for fixing switches or cables or making cables. You know, if you got, I mean, it just happens. Uh, cables don't last forever. Check out Redco. Uh, check out the West 51 from Weller. Um, if you have any questions about soldering, I mean, it's really not that difficult to learn. You don't have to get into crazy, you know, building microphones or anything. I mean, even just learning how to do cables can save you tremendous amounts of money and tremendous amounts of time and be extremely, extremely gratifying to know how much money you saved and that you have this useful skill. So that's my number one top studio essential under $100. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Recording Lounge. As always, you can send your questions, thoughts, comments, suggestions to recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to join our mailing list, you can go to recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up, one word. I promise I won't spam you. I mainly use it to alert you when there are new shows, or every now and then I will use it to show you something cool that happened in the studio. Also, if you need freelance mixing or mastering for your project, please contact me. I will give you a specialized rate. Thank you for being a Recording Lounge listener and supporter. I will talk to you next time.